Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. My name is Allison Insaro, Managing Editor of the American Journal of Managed Care. The COVID-19 pandemic exposed glaring weaknesses in the United States' ability to cope with COVID-19 on top of other existing public health issues, a population beset with chronic illnesses, and stark inequities in a fragmented healthcare system. In an article published in April's Health Affairs, researchers from three universities took a close look at state spending on eight categories of public health during an 11-year period and found the extent to which funding has not kept up with pressing and emerging issues. The stagnation in state public health spending occurred during a time of rising mortality in the United States, and funding, which was cut during the Great Recession, was not restored, leaving the country in a weaker position to combat COVID-19. On this episode of Managed Carecast, we speak about the team's findings with Beth Resnick, a co-author of the study, a senior scientist in the Department of Health Policy and Management, Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, where she is also the Assistant Dean for Public Health Practice and Training. So welcome to Manage Carecast, Dr. Resnick. Can you just introduce yourself and describe the focus of your work and your research? Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me here. I look forward to talking with you today. Um, so I am uh, Beth Resnick. I am the Assistant Dean for Public Health Practice at the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. This work was done with a team of researchers and my piece is, is the, I, I do public health practice. So sort of how do we translate? What does this mean? We were gonna, we did a lot of budget numbers and weedy stuff, but more, what does this actually mean for how we practice public health? And clearly right now in our COVID world, this is very relevant um, and it's great to have people actually paying attention to this. Cause I was gonna say, we've been doing this work long since pre-COVID. This, this data that we had looked at is from 2008 to 2018. So we didn't even know about COVID then. So um, I appreciate the opportunity to share with you, with you all and your audience. You and your fellow researchers, as you mentioned, published an article in the April issue of Health Affairs examining state spending trends in eight categories from 2008 to 2018. And although we're talking during National Public Health Week, this wasn't a good picture of what you found, was it? No. And sadly, I don't think it was really surprising. And now what we're seeing in COVID Again, it's, it's, it's not a surprise. And so some of our work, just to tell you a little bit about this data set, not getting too much into the weeds, this is a data set that a lot of people don't really know about. It's census of government. And it includes state spending um, across all different state agencies. So it's not, we didn't only look at the Department of Public Health. We looked at across all state um, agencies, all 40, 49 states, California does not put their um, line item data into this data set. So it's a pretty powerful and big data set um, with a lot of information. So I think, again, what we found, you, you might argue over a specific number or one site may say, wait, I'm not sure that's right. But in terms of trends and the big picture of what we're seeing, I think we're pretty confident what we're seeing. Um, and again, I don't think you would be surprised is that public health has pretty much been neglected. And, and I think our big take home message that we really want people to understand is that the great recession hit, then there was cutbacks and things and nothing was ever really put back for public health. Um, there was no urgency around, oh, we really need to shore up our public health system. 
um, which again is a pattern that we've seen. Now we were looking 2008 to 2018, but if you went back for those people old enough to remember, we had September 11th, right? There was a huge thrust of um, funding around emergency preparedness and then we didn't have anything happening. So it sort of went away again. So that's kind of been the pattern um, and something that we are trying proactively to change going forward that we don't just throw money at the problem short term and say, oh, we fixed COVID and now let's move on. And when you talk about different departments, so you're not just looking at health departments, you're looking at say agriculture or environmental departments because all of those different areas that states get involved in impact public health. Correct, and just to get a little bit into the weeds and people can look at our article if they wanna read more details, the way the census does the coding, so there's a code that we use called code 32, which meant non-hospital health spending. So if there was something in the Department of Environment that was around um, public health, environmental education, or things outreach, or things about environment and health, that would be, the census would code that as code 32. So that's what we were looking at, code 32. So we didn't just go to the Department of Health and look at their budget. We looked at anyone who coded anything across any of the state agencies as that code 32. And there's codes for all different things. So actually what we ended up finding was in most places across the states, it was actually more stagnant um, than falling. So it wasn't that there was humongous cuts. It was just that there was no beefing up. And again, when you think about inflation and again, when we think about what was happening in that time period, you had opioid um, crises, you know, you have lots of things happening. Um, Actually life expectancy at that same time had gone down. So um, you would think like, hey, we need to be shoring up our our public health system to address some of these challenges that our nation's facing. And that's not what was happening. It was basically pretty stagnant funding. So it didn't keep up with the current demands. Correct. Correct. There was one area where um, in our article and then somebody followed up with us, which uh, injury prevention seemed to not have, was a little less stagnant than everything else, but pointed out to us that the CDC counted the opioid um, issue as injury prevention for the overdose type thing. So that might have influenced that, but again, slightly. Um, So you just didn't see any kind of increase. What does this paper add to what we already know about the topic? So I'm not sure if it adds new knowledge versus reinforces what we had thought and gives evidence to the fact that um, we are not supporting our public health system the way that we need to. So again, I think it gives us evidence and again, gives us the idea going forward when we have this American Rescue Plan and we're thinking about how to shore up the public health system, looking at this kind of information solidifies that we're not just saying we didn't have enough infrastructure here, um, that this is more data and evidence that that shows that. And it'll also be a way to then track going forward, how are we doing and accountability, not just in the next year in getting over COVID, but in the next 10 years um, with any other health crises that we have going on and all the continuing um, struggles we have with all the different issues we're facing and which are most likely, which data is starting to come out to show us now, some of these issues, obesity, mental health are all getting worse. So um, it's a time where we can't let our guard down once we think we have COVID figured out, we got to keep on working on these issues. You referenced the the code, code 32, and what you had to do across 49 states to get at this very granular level of information. It sounded very labor intensive. And at the end of your paper, you describe a solution 
that other countries um, may use, which is probably unlikely in our current climate. Do you want to talk about how our system makes the collection of public health spending data kind of difficult? Yeah, well, wow, we could, I could write a book on that, right? We could talk a long time, but um, yes, I think you're right. Um, You know, sort of the idea we were talking about some other countries have ring-fenced funding and sort of have things, and we would like to be able to think about how we could do that in our system, and that is things that many people are working on, and and we'll continue to be discussing that, but I think the key piece here, and, and we saw it playing out in multiple ways, we have a very fragmented system. So you have the federal money and the federal systems and you have the state systems and we have local systems. So, um, and where the money's going and who's tracking it in what way, just like the same thing with our COVID numbers, right? We, it's hard to get one database because you have all of these different things and people might be defining things differently. So it is a challenge. Um, on, but on the other hand, I think we have to figure out how to address this COVID sort of been a wake up call for many things that we we need to think about how to do better going forward. So there's been things uh, that people have looked at in public health called like a chart of accounts and maybe you're, you have a crosswalk where you can look at different things in different ways. You know, I, I don't know the right answer, but I do think it's going to be important and we need accountability, right? We can't just take all of this billions of dollars we're now having coming and throw it out to the wind and say, let's hope that we do a good job with it. So, so I do think there's, there's movement underfoot to number one, not neglect our systems again. And number two, to make sure that we do have some accountability. Um, I know we're doing some work on that as well as lots of um, leaders across the nation in thinking about that. And I think it's going to be a very important challenge for us. Now, whatever we call it and however we do it, we don't have a centralized system like other places do where you can just designate, you know, okay, this is what we're going to do. So I think it is a challenge we all all have to work on. But but I do think that this whole last year, this wake-up call has committed us. We all understand why we need to do this. Whereas in the past, it was like, oh, okay, but now we really get it, right? We need to have some central way to sort of track how we're doing, um, understanding where our money's going and what we're getting for it. So um, I, I'm hopeful that we we can think this think about this more critically and come up with some solutions. And I think too there, you may have been referring to the idea that there's no standardization of public health departments and there's no guarantee that you can give a health department X amount of dollars and that they will actually do a good job of what it is they're supposed to be doing. Absolutely. And the other thing um, is, right, what is even a health department, right? You have smaller health departments um, with maybe a half-time person working there versus, you know, New York City or a big, huge state health department with lots of people. So, So even our definition of what a health department is. But I think the idea that we'd have basic public health protections in every community we, we um, across the United States is very critical and people understand now why we need that. So, um, you know, where, how Montana or Wyoming might organize might be very different than an urbanized area in New York City, right? But the concept that every person, every community needs public health protections is very clear. Now, who delivers it and how, and who pays for it and how it's organized might need to be different. But the concept that you would need public health protections there, I think everyone now understands why that's important. You also found that this neglect was found in every state, and so it wasn't tied in ideology or administrations or geography or anything like that. Does public health need better lobbyists or a more informed public or what? 
probably all of the above, right? I mean, you, you need a, um, a constituency that understands the purpose for public health, which again, I think, well, this year, everything's divided, right? You got some people who are, you know, we don't want this or anti, very pushing against it. But again, other people really realizing the value of this. There's a lot of work going on. Um, I've, some of the people that were involved in this are doing some other work looking at where were they more successful at, um, at uh, reducing COVID transmission, right? So again, public health protections, having the evidence there to show why this is important. And we absolutely need to make the case better about what we need to be able to, to um, have those protections in place. And you also, um, I think you said earlier, and if you didn't, I'll just say it now, this neglect was happening at the same time that life expectancy was falling. And that was even before COVID-19 became the third cause of death in 2020. Are you optimistic that these facts will help persuade policymakers to make a change? I hope so. I mean, I was saying, I don't think COVID taught us anything that we didn't already know. Um, I think it's just exacerbated and made people recognize it. So I am hopeful that it can open their eyes. And again, like I was saying, I think underlying COVID, we're now going to have increased challenges around obesity, mental health, isolation, loneliness, you know, lots of these issues that have all already been there. So yeah, I do. I am hopeful that there's some more understanding of the importance of these and the interrelation of all of this, right? So we can't just put a bandaid on okay, well, let's hire a bunch of mental health providers and then we've got that problem solved, right? They're all interrelated. Um, and we haven't even gotten into the racism equity um, issues that again, I think have become much more prevalent uh, or much more understandable to people um, over the last year. And again, if we really wanna solve some of these underlying issues, it, it's gonna take a lot more than just hiring a, you know, a few extra workers around one content area um, that we really have to rethink how we approach our, um, how we approach public health, how we approach wellness and our, um, and our uh, integration of all of our different systems. Is there anything else you want to say or anything I forgot to ask? Um, I just want to thank you for drawing attention to this. I think um, it's important. I'm glad that you all are interested in, in thinking about this work. And again, it, it's, it's not the numbers per se versus the message overall about neglect of our systems and, and thinking about how we can improve and go forward. So I appreciate the opportunity to share this time with you and, and talk about our, our study. So thank you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. For more about this issue, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. To get in touch with us, email info at AJMC.com or follow us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and rate us.